Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connections, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hi there, and welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. Today, I'm extremely humbled because I have Paralympic athlete Gabriel George with me with a very inspirational story that I think it will resonate with many of you. His enthusiasm, we just spoke very briefly before this interview, but uh, his enthusiasm is contagious, although that he's been through some very traumatic experiences, I bet. So Gabe, hello and welcome to Back to Basics. Hello, hello, and thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. No, I think people like you is what makes people's lives better because we all have to go through different experiences. Some have ups and some have downs, but anytime you hear of someone that has gone through what you've gone through and you share a little bit more about it, it's really insp even more inspirational. So thanks for being here and taking the time. No problem. No problem. My honor. So let me start by asking, are you from Florida? No, oh, originally I am from Houston, Texas, right, right outside, east side of Houston, Texas, in a little city called McNair, Texas. Okay, great. And so, but I know that uh, you, well, so tell me about your childhood, first of all, how your upbringing, uh, who were you as a kid, what you were interested in, all that good stuff. Okay. Uh, and that will end up getting me what led me to Florida. So, um, well, growing up in where I'm from, um, in a little small neighborhood, I mean, Pretty much regular, like a lot of people growing up. Uh, didn't have a lot of money. Grew up a single mom. Uh, fathers were out the household. Really didn't know a lot of drama with that stuff. And my mom pretty much raised me and I think three or four of the kids by herself. Wow. So I, well, an older brother did pass when he was like a baby. Then I have an older brother, Chris, a, uh, a younger little brother, Justin, and a little sister, Myrtle. And we all grew up in a little small shotgun house pretty much <laughs> by ourselves and You go through all kinds of things, everything through the time. I was born in the 80s, so that's going through all the 86s with the crack periods and all that going through life. And you've seen and experienced and dealing with all that, what comes with that and being from Texas and all the stuff we deal with like that. Um, but what really, I guess, all the top, hard times, the tough times, kind of what set my life balance and set me up for, okay, if you can make it through all that and you can survive all that, I mean, who knows what's next? Uh, I... Let's see. I went to high school and graduated in 2004. And from high school, my, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. uh, I started out because I had, had a record already. By the time I was in the senior, I got a record for possession of marijuana. Okay. And so that, that kind of limited me already then from that because I got caught. I went to a, a county jail, I think, for like 30 days. But my senior year in high school, having possession of it so that it threw a lot of well, I couldn't play basketball anymore in my senior year so it was a whole lot of things like, okay now you're about to graduate we'll have to re-enroll re in school then graduate then find out what you're going to do with life and I'm sorry to interrupt you right there but I know and I have a few kids that I know one of them got in trouble recently for exactly the same thing is there anything that you would tell to the younger you 
at this point, like to that maybe you could shed some light into younger kids or parents say, if I if I if you had the chance to say something to younger Gabe, what oh, would it be for a, that? I say it's a very tough one now because during that time there was a whole lot of other drugs and a lot of things I could have been doing. There's a lot of things because I I, I worked some small odd jobs, I cut grass for people, I washed cars, I did anything because like my mother was a single mother. I seen, I saw her praying many nights, crying with all the bills stretched on the table, asking, oh, how God, how are we going to pay these bills? So for me, being a young man, trying to be, trying to, okay, what we're going to do, see, watching all this, you know, but you know not to do certain things, certain things, you know what's bad, you know right from wrong all of a sudden, you know, but like, and you have all the people that's in your neighborhood, you got, you walk out my street, out the house, and you got drug dealers on the corners everywhere, selling crap, cocaine, and all this other stuff. But, and growing up, I had one of the main guys, unknowingly, that lives right next door to me that supplied everybody. And he always told me, he said, I'm never going to see you on this corner. I said, no matter what you do, I don't want to see you on the corner. I, I don't know why he told me that way or singled me out like that, but he had no problem with me getting involved with marijuana. But anything stronger than that, he's saying, no. No way. Do. So he protected and, you in a way. In a sense, he did. And I, I didn't understand, didn't know, look what it, you know, and it kind of, set past with my future now too also because now that marijuana is this big legal thing going on in all these states and they're using they're finding out that it's medical reasons and it's it's helpful for so many things and it's like i always tell my mom see i wasn't doing something so bad yeah now people are billions off of something that i was just trying to do you just yeah my mom didn't accept it. she wasn't one of those that went along with it she though know, she was no she beat me forward for getting caught with it all. yeah so yes yes but, i can see that being back, a mom right yeah and looking back as a child, like I, I had those conversations with myself all the time. Like, how would I go about it? The biggest thing I would tell myself is to watch it. Don't be so trustworthy all the time. Because I was I was very trust. I was kind of open with and trying to help so many people with that. Every time I was doing something like that or involved in something to make money, it was always I was paying bills with it. Or I wasn't just going out buying crazy stuff. I wasn't one of those type where I was buying shoes. You know, I was feeding a lot of people. <laughs> I was trying to put food on the table and doing these certain little things. So it was more so like, okay, be careful. Be, I had older people warning me at the same time. Because when you're young, you don't think nobody knows anything. But at the same time, we you're living in a small neighborhood. Everybody watches it. Everybody knows everything. Yeah. And at the time, like my pastor knew what was going on. All the people down the streets knew what was going on. So it, it wasn't like nothing was so hidden. But it was, growing up, it was, it was, it was I've tried so many different things. And I've tried so many other outlets. I, I tried, like I said, I was cutting grasses. I was trying lawn mowing, but it, half the time it was like if I get in the way of older people's job. Oh, I work when I used to work with my grandfather. He taught me how to do electrician's work and pouring mm-hmm. concrete, pouring concrete slab. I'd go do the little jobs like that. Anytime I find a house, then the older guys get mad that I'd be overworking them and I'd be cutting <laughs> in on their money, so they tell me not to come anymore. So I was like, Oh boy! But it was so it was it just always taught me one thing that set me at learning that. You know, you're going to always get all kind of roadblocks in life. There's going to always be something coming up to keep you from living, pretty much. And I was to never, I never was one to stop or just give up. I would find another route. Keep mm-hmm. going. You know, it was always look for another route, look for a better way, pay attention to what's really going around. And that's still the path that I'm on now. Because as things happen and as things occur to me in life, I may have a plan of like, yeah, this is what I want to do. But there's always been some big stumbling block or something that's like, okay, haha, let's see how you react and how you respond. Well, but you yeah. know, I have a theory about that. I and I'm very, you know, I have a lot of faith, and I always say that God only sends things to the people they know they can handle it. So 
I think you're someone special, and that's why God is keeping, you know, to throw curves at you. Woo! When, when, when we get to where me and my relationship with God, yeah, they, I was talking about the curve. I let, that's, this whole process with me that I'm going on to now as far as me being dealing with the paralyzed arm or then having an arm amputated and all this stuff there from the spinal cord and all that, I would always, because people will tell me, it's like, dang, God, pain, God only gives stuff to so they can bear it or something like that. Or then he looked at me, God, it, you, only you can take this. People tell me, only you would be the one that could take it. And I'm like, I, I told God from day one, I was like, all right, I'll deal with it. I said, it hurts. It hurts a whole lot. But if you tell this is what you want me to do, I'll deal with it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been one of those things people ask me all the time, do you ever think about just killing yourself? And I honestly, honestly, from the day one since my accident waking up, killing myself has never been an option. It has never been a thought in my mind. I've imagined myself dying. I've seen myself. I've seen the great ghosts and I've seen this up being in the bed. I've been in enough pain and feeling like I was dying and like, okay, didn't know if I was going to wake up. But me finishing it myself, was never, it was me, it's like, I learned to love life enough that I love living and I love learning. I love experiencing more life. There's so much more in this whole world that it's like, like I said, it, it's one thing's not working out or one thing is not going, there's a whole nother galaxy around right? There's a whole nother network that you can go experience something in and it can re-spark or restart something that you didn't even know. And it keeps me alive, it keeps me going. Because you're, I'm, there's gonna always be many no's. There's always gonna be many, oh, you can't, you can't do this. But if you believe it, the moment you start believing it and feeding to that camp, then you won't do anything. Yeah. And so me, like the challenges I've learned to accept them for what they are and then smile through as I go through them because I see myself where I want to be. And I, I like, I like from, I tell people this, I tell my daughter this all the time. Like anytime I, before I buy a house, or I used to rent houses. I go and visit it multiple times first. The one I, I see myself walking around it. I've actually walked it myself. And so that way, when I actually got to it, I had already been there. I'd already said to myself, and so now I'm already focusing on what's next because I've already accomplished this. I've already saw this. So when everybody else sees it and manifests or sees it, they're just now experiencing what I've already done. And I'm like, I know it's possible. And I've seen this happen over and over and over. So it keeps me going. Wow, that's that's um, very inspirational. So well, I know we fast forward a little bit there, but it's, it's fascinating. I don't have a problem taking it back. So okay. you, you had your issues, you know, in high school and all that. Uh-huh. Was there anything in particular that you enjoy doing so much that you say, oh, this is Gabe. I, I love doing this. Is it being with your friends, being with your family or playing a sport? Is there something that takes you back to that? I was always somebody that took care of a group of people. I was always like, people for some reason to this day still flock to me. Sorry, I, I, People say these strangers most so. I, I have tendencies from the weirdest people to the people that most people don't want to deal with. That <laughs> those are the type that are drawn to me, people that have been through a lot. And it's either we connect and I'm in a thinking it's like, I, I make sure everybody's good. Like when, in the military, my job was a corpsman. So medical, pretty much medical. And like, as far as what that relate, if you tell a Marine that somebody's a corpsman, they automatically know what that means. That's, that's who take care of the Marines when they're out in the field. But also as a corpsman, when you're not dealing with Marines, you take care of everybody else. You're responsible for everybody's health care and make sure everybody's good. And like all my life, I feel like I'm living in that role where I'm concerned. I make sure, because I feel like I'm good. I always have everything that I need. But I was like, I'm, I want to make sure everybody around me has everything that way we can move forward together. And I'm like, I'm always trying to, I learn everybody's job. I learn everybody's role. So, okay, if somebody's falling out, that I can step up and help up or that we can keep everything going. And from being a child, from, from working on the barns, digging, working with horses and cows and pigs, 
to working at my grandpa's. To, like, I always like, I enjoyed work. I like physical labor thing. I, I've done, I love building. I like seeing the completion of things. Uh, and that's, it's, that's why it's, I guess, took me on this path on so many things. When I joined the military right after high school, I, I really didn't, they asked me, what did you want to do? What was your job? And I took my ass up. I was like, I have no idea. All I know, I want to get out of my neighborhood, get out of my mama's house. Uh-huh. I want Whatever gets me out of here as fast as possible. So that and was the motivation the, for you to get into the military? That was to, to leave, to get out the house. And so how old was, were you? I just graduated the house. I was 17, I believe, at the time. Just 16, just turned 17, so I had to wait a little bit. Uh, and so then they said, okay, we had this thing called Seaman. You can come in. Uh, you're responsible. They didn't really even tell me what the job was. And it's like, okay. Uh, you, I was like, whatever. How long did it leave? They said, two weeks. I said, you got anything to leave sooner? They said, no. <laughs> You were in a rush. <laughs> like, just get me out of here. I, I knew there was something different. Because really at the time, my choices were go back to jail because I was going to end up doing something else because I, I needed to work. I, I, was, I was taking care of people. And I had really many, no many, not really work options. I was taking care of my family. And I, I knew somebody had to be responsible for that. You know, my mom would work and she'd have her little odd jobs every now and then. But it was never enough. We depended on a whole lot of others and what we could. So... Me going to the military was like it was a freedom thing, but also okay. Now I'm gonna have a I'll have money coming in. Uh, I'll, I'll then like the navy. The navy talked me in. The navy told me, "Oh, you come into us. You won't ever have to work. You just come play basketball for us. That's all you had to do. Play basketball in the navy. And you don't have to do that." I was like, "Okay, cool, no problem." That I'm sounds six, appealing, seven. I have to say. And I play basketball all through high school, so <laughs> I never touched the basketball the whole time <laughs> I was in. The- <laughs> okay, <laughs> so that was a hook, right? Yeah, that was, they hooked and baited me, and I was like, okay, no problem. But, but still, you had a vision. You had a vision because that, I, I can imagine that also that wasn't the easiest choice. Right. And, and while I'm in boot camp, you still didn't, you don't, so I go to boot camp, and you don't really know what's real. So while I'm there, one of my, the, the RDC, what they call it, the one, the person that's over our division, she's single, I, we have, I had a female chief at the time. I remember her name, Chief Phillips. And she singled me out. She was like, okay, you're going to, you, she picked me out. You're on my team. I didn't know who she was at the time. Didn't know anything. We, it's boot camp. Nobody knows anything. But so she ended up making me this role in front of the master at arms, pretty much the, the number two role that's over in charge of the whole division. Though there's only one other guy, he, like his part, but he didn't really do anything. But so she just put me in this role. I'm like, okay. So I'm in charge of making sure everybody does everything they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it and all that. So with that and her, and, and her job outside of being an RDC was she was a corpsman. Also, like this was my first corpsman experience, first time meeting somebody that was an HMO, we call it a corpsman. And like, and our other second LPO, he was a, like a master at arms, the actual master at arms, so AMA. And they would talk to me about different job titles and stuff like that while I was in. And like, they were trying to get me to go master at arms at the time because they was like, okay, that would be pretty much like a cop. It's like, because it's a real wide open rate, you know, you do great, you can advance quick and all this, blah, blah, blah. But then it's like, and to say, then I was like, ah, I really didn't know about it. All I knew was, okay, yeah, I'm here to make money, so I'm going to do something. But she was one of the most persons that impacted me my, initially and seeing how she ran things, how she had a tight ship and kept us in line. We, we ended up graduating first in, uh, ahead of all the other groups and stuff in boot camp. Like, she was real strict, but at the same time, she had a little soft spot, too. Okay. <laughs> and it was things that I was, her way of training stuck with me a lot. Like so, like we had to win our runs when we had to do our final assessment thing. We had these runs where we had the whole division has to run together as somebody else is leading us, and we don't know what's going on as things are going crazy. And she would always like so she they would always tell us make sure you stay with this person, don't let them leave. And then but at the same time you're not supposed to let your people get lost behind too. 
And so she'd be really screaming at me while we were running, Joy, blah, blah, make sure you keep up. Then now she's screaming, you're leaving everybody. So I'm keeping me crazy. Then she's she yelling, telling me we're we're losing, we're going to fail if we're not doing it. Then when we get to the end, everybody makes it. She's like, we broke the record for the boot camp. We broke records. We set stuff. We got so bad. I was like, so I understood her type of, of instruction, whatever, and, and that motivation. Because she was watching how I was going to make sure every whatever I had to do to get everybody through. And so as I went on, so I went to the military, like I, I joined, I was on the ship for the first couple of years. Then I learned, and that was then I learned, okay, what corporate was, what the rates were. So that's what got me to become the medical. And, and as a medical, you pretty much your job is to take care of everybody, the health and well-being, you learn about everything and pretty much. So that was something that I knew I was great at, I, I can do. I, I went through that, did I, even with all the stuff that I went through while I was in the military, my job was sometimes one of the things that kept me together because I, I knew the importance of my role. I knew all that it entailed and what I was entrusted with. So those, and not only that, but just the oath that became behind it, the oath that they, as a court, we have to take certain like medical oaths that do no harm to do things to do certain things. So we was putting in some of the most chaotic positions or situations, but still had to remain know how to remain calm because you were responsible for life, for people's yeah. wealth, and health, and well being. So that's, I guess, a, a whole. That's very impressive, and obviously, I know it sounds cliche, but thank you for your. I mean, I admire so much that the people that mm -hmm. that put themselves in harm's way to protect everybody else, and uh, but it's incredible that you kind of knew when you were younger that you know I like to take care of others, and then life presented mm -hmm. you with an opportunity to really do that through the military. Over, yeah. And so, how long did you spend in total in the military? About five. Years total five yeah, years and then you decided to quit or you left or what's the story there oh, I, that was unfortunately i was in a motorcycle accident when i got back from one of my first deployments okay. um, my second deployment. so that that's what happened you were still you were still in the marines and you came to florida on vacation or to visit someone i was the whole time i was in the military i was stationed here in florida okay my first mission was in jacksonville or well, here in jacksonville florida out of mayport i was on a uss Corning, a ddg a ship okay and then after being stationed there, they sent me back to Chicago for med school, for corporate school, and I finished school. And they, you're supposed to be able to select orders to go different places. I select everywhere but Jacksonville. And they sent me right <laughs> That's where you got. <laughs> yes, they sent me right back. And so I ended up going at the Naval Hospital in Jacksonville, out of the uh, Fleet Marine, I mean, not Fleet Marine, but the Fleet Hospital in Jacksonville, excuse me. Okay. So, and then, so while I was here serving, I had just got back from deployment in Gitmo. Had a great deployment out there, and then I was riding my motorcycle from church one Friday because that's when, whenever I wasn't at work back then, if wouldn't I work, work at church? Uh, I was at church or I was in the street witnessing some or going around talking to people about God and all of this, or I was on my motorcycle. That, that's all I did work, church, bike, motorcycle. And I was coming home from a Bible study, I think it was a Friday night because I would go Tuesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. That's how deep I was in. <laughs> but that's... it was one Friday evening, I was leaving Bible study, and didn't make it home. I woke up through, they said I was in a motorcycle accident leaving church and I woke up three weeks later in the hospital. You do not remember anything about the hut? Nothing? I remember, all I remember is earlier that day, I remember getting off work early and I remember I was going, I met a friend of mine's mom to drop some CDs off for some new artists I had listened to and I remember I was like, okay, I'm going to go. I said, I remember it being hot. <laughs> I said, I got to make this ride to church and that's it. I remember waking up in the hospital and I had this two-headed nurse on the side of me doing something. I had somebody pulling chest tubes out of one of my lungs on this side. Wow, that's uh, that's definitely 
life-changing, I, I imagine. And uh, when you woke up, and, and then you hear, right, that, uh, and, and we'll speak more about God and your relationship with God and how you got to go three three times <laughs> a week to church because oh, I, yeah. I, w I went to Catholic school all my life, uh, 17 years to a nun, all girls, and I never went three times a week to uh, church. So I want to hear more is, about that. <laughs> oh, this is out of my mom's house. Nobody's forcing me. This was me. I was 20-some years old doing this. And I was wow. like, this thing that was trying to do right, trying to make sure everything, you know, this, my whole focus on life was so live right as possible, trying not to make any mistakes, you know, so that everything I do to be right. It was a little extravagant. <laughs> well, but, you know, I, I also have theories on that. And as I share, I, w I went to Catholic school. I knew how to pray, blah, 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 all that stuff. But, you know, I wasn't that practicing when I was older. And one mm -hmm. month, I don't know why I felt the, the need to pray the rosary. And I didn't remember how to pray it. But I knew I had the tools because I went to Catholic school, obviously. And I started praying the rosary. And I prayed it for like two weeks. I don't know why, out of the blue. And then after the two weeks, my parents had a terrible car accident as well, uh, and they almost died. And they were in the hospital for three months. And I'm convinced, convinced that God was mm. giving me the right tools to go through yeah. it. And now that you tell me your story, I'm pretty sure that it's something similar where God was saying, you know, come pray because I have something in store for you that's going to be hard to navigate. People ask me all the time, like, Oh, I bet your accident made, brought you closer to God. That did I bet you that? And I tell them, I was like, no. I mean, actually, we was already close. We was real close already. We talked on a daily. I, what it really did for me, it opened me up and up to understand people more. You know, it, it, it never, it didn't take me away from God. It took me away from people because I, I things that I could see in people before and just I wouldn't really accept. And I was just like, whatever. I'm just okay. I'm coming to church. I'm here for this. This and that. I'm not where. I saw the ugliest sides of people. I saw how people use God. I've had people, you know, trying every single way. And at the end, the whole time, I, can, I was always like, I feel like I, God was just showing me this. Just allow me. I, I never feel like God left me through none of it. I always said, like, he, uh, it was me, him taking me. He's like, okay, you really want this? I'm going to show you what it, what it really means to, when you really want this relationship, that you want to see what it really means to get this, that, that whole what Jesus felt and what it meant to be like that. I was like, people say they want to meet him so bad. They want to be like Christ so much until you start going through the things that he went through. Then you understand, like, oh, okay, yeah. I've, <laughs> I've that, spoken a lot about the, this, even with my husband, that he said that in, in the time where he felt his life was the easiest, he mm -hmm. said, well, you know, I think I can, if this is it, like I, I want a little more challenge. And then he said, and then he <laughs> lived through the worst year of his life. And he said, I should have known better what to ask for. <laughs> Yes, Lord. Yeah. Uh -huh. And by no means it's an experience like you wake up and now someone has to tell you that, you know, you, you suffered this accident and now you cannot <sighs> use one of your, your right arm, right? I woke up and I had broke my neck in, uh, from my, in two spots to C, from C5. Wait, I, I don't know why I'm blank. From, I want to say C2 to C7. There we go. <laughs> Or C5 to C7. A bunch of well, it's a good thing you forgot. I'm going to put it that way. That means that you're recovering and that you're moving your neck. <laughs> I broke six ribs on the right side. My collarbone, scapula, both lungs was collapsed and severely bruised. My, I have the right brachial plexus injury, which is an injury to nerve endings in the arm, which paralyzed my right arm. I was in a coma for three weeks. And if they said I wouldn't walk again, they said my arm, I wasn't going to use my arm again. I was trait. They had A-line to my heart. I had tubes in everywhere, like wow. catheters. And, and yeah, I didn't remember any of it. And wow, wow, wow. 
I remember that they talked when I when I came out the coma arm when they finally capped my trach so I can talk. They started telling me about all the people that came to the hospital, all the stuff that people were saying that they they knew me. They had to restrict visitors. They had never seen nothing like this. The doctor took like when I so after I got to the hospital, I was in the hospital three weeks. They transferred me to a Brooks or rehab facility. They planned to keep me there for a fun, couple of months for me to learn how to walk and stuff over again. I was there a week, and then I was out of rehab. <laughs> and wow. then I was like, we don't learn, but I was like. I said, I'm ready to get out of here. Because I remember when I woke up in the bed and they told me that I was in there for three weeks. And I started panicking. I said, no, I have things to do. Yeah. I, like, I had things. I was outside of the military. I was doing this little, little modeling gigs at the time and started getting to that world. So I had a photo shoot or something and com- coming up in Miami or Miami or uh, Orlando. So when they tell me I'm in the hospital for three weeks, I'm in the bed. I'm like, no, no wait, way. I'm like, wait a minute. Where am I at? And, you know, but. It was a slow realization. I'm like, oh, okay. I couldn't really talk at the time. My arm wouldn't move. I didn't know why, but I was like, whatever. I'll deal with this later. Uh-huh. And it, it's as as like I, like I said, I, I was in. The, once they transferred to rehab, I started everything. And I was like, okay, I had to learn how to walk over again. They tried to give me canes and stuff, and I was like, no, I'm not going to do no cane. I'm not. I'm. I'm. You won't have me walk. It was frustr- It was a frustrating week. But now like, I got to go back. And like, I understand it. You know, they they had to do what they had to do. But then I was so determined to get out of there and try to move forward. And like life had changed so much. You know, yeah, I'm, I was still in the military at the time. But then I, now I'm like, I can't do my job anymore. I was an anesthesia tech. I worked in the OR. You know, I was I was giving, starting IVs and stuff all the time. And, and this was my right arm, my main functioning arm. Of course. I was like, all right. But at the same time, I was like, whatever's happened. Not only that, at, the, at that time, my daughter's mom was pregnant with her. Oh, wow, 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 wow. That's major. So I'm like, as this happened, then, so now I'm like, find out, okay, now they're about to put, I'm about, so now my military time is up too. So I'm like, who's about to, I remember panicking one day, they said, because they they couldn't understand what I was trying to say. So they made a board with a bunch of letters on it so I could point it out. And I kept sitting tight trying to insure insure who's going to, because I'm thinking, I I kept having these dreams that the military had put me out. And then I didn't have insurance. So the, the hospital just rolled me out. So I was panicking, thinking, I was like, oh, what's going to happen? It's, of it's course. Like, Don't worry about that. Yeah. All these questions, you know, but. It's a lot to deal with, a lot to deal with at one time. And, and you don't know. You don't, you have no idea what's going on. And to this day, sometimes I still don't know what's going on, but I know my biggest thing is to keep moving forward. You know, whatever happens, just keep, because it's always been something that's always, when, when I feel like I, because everything that I have, every, everything that I want costs me everything that I have over and over again. I tell my daughter, I say, everything that I've ever wanted, because I, I, I'm not one that really wants a lot of material things. I've mm-hmm. learned, I've really been a minimalist throughout this whole thing. I've learned about getting rid of things. So, because it's just weigh you down and carry me. Like, but I, I love the experiences. I love the learning. I love like once I get to tell you all the things that adaptive sports that I'm involved in right now, like those are the things that I love. And I look more than that, I love sharing it with others. I love to see the experience and the looks on other people's faces once they experience and see what I'm talking about. How when I experienced this, this is it's almost like sharing God with somebody. It's and that's really the same thing. It's like you you get that wonderful experience and you want to talk about it. You want to and now instead of me just sharing a book or like a Bible telling you this is God, this is God. No, I share you the whole world. And then go with it. I, I give you these experiences. All I tell people, God is in everything that you say and do. Yeah. Everything we looked at was like in the beginning, he, he said, he, let there be light. And there was light. Everything that we see was once a thought by somebody else that had to be created and be manifested. So if you start looking at everything like God, people, everybody like God, then you start, and you're seeing God in everything, it, you change how you respond to it when things happen because you understand that it's, there's no good or bad, you know, there, there's no, it's every, it, it just is. 
and and that's part of life. So that's a whole other thing. No, but that's that's very, very true and very inspirational. I mean, to me, and I've interviewed now, probably my 46th interview for this podcast in the past year. But uh, And I've interviewed many, many uh, inspirational people. But to me, you are the image of God because when you see someone that, because we all have challenges, but there's like regular challenges, stuff, stuff, but then there's like major, you know, and to me, what you went through is a major challenge and, and, you know, you stop using one arm. Now you just shared with me recently, you had it amputated. Yeah, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, imagine. So you are also dealing now with that, you know, because one thing is probably to have your arm and now, okay, now I have to deal with that. And yet you are transmitting so much positive outlook, so much energy. And and then you compare other people and you say, how can this person that really, in my view, has many problems, but nothing to do with what (laughs) you're facing. Uh And yet you see them, you know, very down, very like, defeated in a way. And then you see people that go through what you're going through. One of my nephew's best friends at 20, just three months ago, he lost his two legs in a terrible car accident in Venezuela. And I've been following him on Instagram. He already has the processes in. He's already walking. He's already doing amazing thing. I'm, I'm like blown away, like what you're doing. And so to me, that's the image of God, because that's real challenges that call to go through a deeper level of yourself to right. get through. So that, that yeah. inspires me. Well, yeah, I definitely understand that. And I agree, because I've met, and through this time, I've met, and I've spoken with many people, and you get some people that tell us, yeah, I'm disabled. I can't stand up for too long when my ankle starts to hurt. I can't work. I can't do this. And, and you're like, really? Wow. Really? You want to <laughs> you wanna have that conversation? <laughs> And at the time, I'm like, and with these people, they're, they're talking to me while I'm lugging lumber with somebody or I'm doing something. And That's like, crazy. That's yeah, crazy. So I smile about it. You know? I mean, everybody's views I've learned are different. Everybody doesn't want the same thing. Everybody doesn't. It's really about what's inside of you. At the end of the day, what you pour inside of you, what you feed yourself, that's what you're going to get out of you. If you believe in automatically, like, I can't do this or no, nah, this, this is impossible. This is not going to work. You're never going to try it. You're never, it's not going to be possible. No matter what you do, it's not going to work. But if this is, oh, this is something I want to do, this is, as long as you want it, that's already, that, that's that must see faith part right there. That's that, okay, you want it. Now the universe is open. They want this. They're going to start sending things to you to attract everything that you want. I, I tell my daughter all the time the importance of making a list of what you want, like of setting goals. I, I tell everyone, it's like, I do this and I'll make a five-year plan. And first of all, people are like, get scared. Five years, whoa, that's a whole big, I understand. <laughs> I used to do that too. Five years, I couldn't even see that a long time ago. Well, start with a year plan. Start, start with all these things that you want done. You, once you write it down, that's already, that's the trigger to start the atmosphere. All right, I'm seeing this thing. But then you can start, once you start, okay, put in action behind that list of things that you wanted done. It's going to come. Because I, I got, I'm in the house that I'm in now living. Like I had a five-year plan to admit, okay, I was going to save some money, get this done, get the house, get the car, all that. Usually, every time I make a five-year plan, everything is done within about a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> everything, and then I'm like, okay, what's next? What's every, next? Anytime I plan for anything, it gets knocked out quick because you see it, and you can start thinking, okay, then, or and if it doesn't go exactly, it's never going to go exactly how I planned it or how I want it. But when you start looking back, you're like, oh, I've done this, I've done this, I've been places. All the things that I'm doing now in life, or things and things that I had just talked to somebody two years ago about that, hey, this is what I want to do. 
Because two years ago, I wasn't doing nothing but sitting on the couch in a lot of pain all the time, hurting, trying to figure out, okay, what's next? Then it was a mention, like, somebody, I started watching other people do certain things. I was like, I want to go scuba diving. You know, I wanted to do certain things. I would like to try this. And so I got invited to an event. And at this event, it, it was like the VA put on an event where they hosted a bunch of different adaptive sports. They had sailing there, archery, pickleball, uh, pick cycling, uh, surfing, and some other stuff. And at the time, I was like, I can't do none of this stuff. Like, <laughs> I only got one arm. I'm in a whole lot of pain. I can't do The day I went to archery, the first time I ever picked up a boat, like, I'm at the archery clinic, and I'm watching everybody shoot. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's cool. Um, this is going to be one of the things I just get to sit and watch and do. And one of the coaches walked up. He said, no, come here. Here. He tied a little string around the bow, the string. He said, bite down on that and pull. I was like, okay. I bit down. I pulled and aimed. I was like, uh-huh. He said, just let go. I let go. And when I, once the, the arrow hit the mat, the target, and like a bulbs went off. I was like, whoa, I can do this. Wow. He said, do it again. And so I was like, and I sit there and shot and shot over. I was like, wow, it's something I can actually do. I mean, just from that part, from that day, y'all, like a week later, when I got home, I went straight to the archery uh, shop and I said, hey, I need a bow. <laughs> I was like, I don't care. Just, I said, just get, I need a bow. So he sold me one of the cheapest bows they could have. And he's just like, I don't know how you're going to do this. I'm like, well, we're going to tie something. We were like, Either way, I got my first bow. I went to it. And so the, while I was at the, the, the same sports clinic, I met a group that was in sailing. They had sailing. They, they were taking, about, taking a whole bunch of veterans, broken up veterans out, teaching us how to sail. And it's like, okay, you're thinking, no, we're going to sit down a boat and be cruised around. It's like, no, you're going to actually sail. You're going to pull the lines. You're going to pull the, the work the main. You're going to work the, the, the... I'm like, okay. And I had one of the most calmest days, one of the most peaceful experiences. And it was amazing. So while I'm there, I was like, can I sign up to come to y'all cook y'all next clinic? I want to do more. This is lighting fires in me right now. These, these things, I'm like, wow, I can do stuff. Wait. So and they said, okay, yeah, yeah. If you're really about it here, put sign to take the application, sign up for it. We'll come. I did it right in front of their face, right then and then sent it to them. And they were like, oh, yeah, you really want this? I said, yes, I need to do this. I go to their clinic. It was in, we had the first one, I want to say, not even in Charleston or Annapolis, Maryland. And they teach, they just call it, this group here called Warrior Sailing. I love them. I support them so much now because they were one of the major impacts in my life. Because well, on my first trip there with them, we did a whole week of sailing and they teach us how to actually sail. They teach you how to work, how to the, the points of sail, how to navigate, all this wonderful stuff. And while I'm there, I'm, they introduced me to another guy who had this another similar arm injury to me. And he's tall like me, too. And it's like, yeah, y'all should talk. So I meet him. I'm talking to him. And I'm just like, yeah, this has been cool. I really thinking about I want to get involved in like archery and I'm thinking I was like I, I want to do scuba diving all these things I just mentioned he said really he said hold that thought he picks his phone up puts a phone call into his diving buddy that has a diving organization he picks up the phone calls his uh, archery buddy that shoots and trains he put them all in contact with me and now two years later I've said all that now I'm a certified sailor I've, I've done regattas across the around the world Charleston Race Week I race sailboat big race sailboats I've done. Catamarans, million dollar wow. boats. I'm a Paralympic archer. I should shoot across around the world all year round. I, I, I compete in major competitions. I, this year alone, I'm doing the Invictus Games, if we have it, and the Warrior Games, DOD Warrior Games. I have Paralympic World Trials throughout this year for the Olympics. What else did I say? Scuba diving. Oh, I have over 90 scuba dives. Uh, wow. 90 dives from around the world in two years from me traveling and just from me talking about I want to do something. It was just a dream, and now and I, I'm doing all these things for real, full time now, and just 
so when people tell me, in all this time, I've been had a paralyzed arm, dealing with the chronic nerve pain, still, still living with life, still living with other, but living. Now, experiencing, seeing the power of my thought and my words, and writing things down, and saying this is the world, watching it manifest. That is crazy. That is crazy. And now I, I have a tough question for you. Do you sure. think hadn't you gone through the tragedy you went through, would you have the same life? I've been, been asked that once or twice before. I don't think, honestly, if I, had went through, if I hadn't gone through this, I wouldn't be on the same path. I'm pretty sure I'd be on some other kind of crazy path. I would uh-huh. be doing something. Because I know telling, because I knew me, because I've gone through multiple different tragedies, different things in life, and they just, they always reset me, re- realign my path. But at the end of the day, my, I think my major path for life, and this, this will come out first time telling people, like my major goal was what really inspires me in is, like I said, motivating others. My job is here to motivate and inspire overcomers around the world or, or overcomers anywhere, not even just the world, anywhere. And that that's, so not just within motivational speaking, but in motivational doing by the acts. Because anybody can speak to you and talk to you and motivate you and then you leave the room, you're like, yeah, I'm motivated, but now what? What do I do? You have no idea, you know, you're, you're full, but then you're okay. And then you're waiting till you've been taught, like somebody comes talk to you again and refill you up. Now I'm more about the doing, the acting. If you see me do it, like, so not only do I scuba dive and I love it, that, that's one of my therapeutic passions in the world. I encourage everybody to do it. Not only do I do archery, not only am I a sailor, I, I'm, I started pickleball. Pickleball is one of the fastest growing sports in America right now. And I'm hosting clinics, teaching that to vets and others now because I'm getting involved in t- competitions with that. Because it's another thing that I love to do. It's active. I have to research that one. What is a pickleball? I haven't heard of pickleball yet. No, and I, I love all type of sports, but no. Let me tell you real quick. Pickleball is a cross between tennis, uh, ping pong, and badminton. So okay. you play it on like a badminton sized court, and you play it, and your net is lowered on the ground like a tennis court, but it's shorter than a tennis court. And it's, but it's the exact same dimensions of a badminton court. And you're using a paddle and a wiffle ball. That's, that's a pickleball paddle oh, right okay. here. Oh, okay. I see it. I'm yeah. going gonna, gonna to put a, a link to that. Okay. That you, sounds fun. You, on YouTube and check pickleball, how to play, you'll find there's places to play. If you find, there's an app called Places to Play. And it'll it'll show you everywhere that's in the surrounding areas around you that play. And there's going to be millions of them. So don't be scared. I might have to come to Jacksonville and get a private class with you. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I'll come out there. I'll come to you. I love my, it's warmer out your way. <laughs> that's but, true. Uh, it, it, this one thing I love about people is that's I play with a lot of older crowds. You see, you catch that now. That's and that's I connect with them. I'm go out there. I get to see those, their faces. They're just talking to me like, "Oh my God, you're out here doing this." I'm so I'm motivated by them that they're out here moving at these old age, and I'm like, "Okay." They're like, "Wow, you're out here moving." I, I so love it, I love sports that you can do with the older people too. Like I used to do ra- dragon boating. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Dragon now. Now I'll teach you one that did. It's basically yeah. it's a, it, it was the the fastest uh, outdoors sport, fastest growing outdoor sport for a while. And basically, it's a ten people boat, no twenty people boat, but on one side it's with paddles. It's the short okay. paddle. It's not that. But then you can do very young or very like all ages. And one of the things right. I enjoyed is that you really can have a crew that you have 65-old person uh-huh. or, or a 20-year-old okay. person. And I loved it for that. Yep. So you are going to love pickleball then. Just, just what? When we talk again, you're going to be like, oh, my God, why I, didn't I know about this? I will, it, look, it, it, I will look it up for sure. These type of things that bring people together, for one, it keeps us communicate. It keeps us 
out off our phones and in front of race. And now you have to communicate with us. But it's it's a physical activity that's not real hard on your body, too, so that anybody can do it. And it, uh, they're making it adaptive for that people even in wheelchairs can play it, too, that have wheelchair sports. Absolutely. And, but it, we're talking, we're communicating, we're just friendly competition. So things like that, that that's I love. I love that type of energy that it brings in these types of settings, too, because it's something, like you said, we don't get often. We don't get anymore unless you're somebody that's out there. You don't know about these things. People don't communicate anymore. People aren't together. When I'm not sports, if outside of sports, I love cooking. I love okay. cooking big meals. I grew up, because I grew up the way I grew up, I cooked a lot. I still struggle. I can't cook a small meal for nothing. I can't <laughs> cook just for me. Uh-huh. It's hard for me. But you want a gumbo, you want a big pot or something, you want a... a, a I can go down. We can. I love family. <laughs> I love feeding people, and that's something. When I did on deployments, every time I was deployment, like in Cuba, I had barbecues almost every weekend. We we're doing something, and we just feed everybody. We weren't worried about the money. We weren't worried about. It. We just having a good time. Somebody bring out the music. They bring drinks and all that. I do the food. I'm in the kitchen. <laughs> you don't need much more than that, you know. Like I'm Italian, but my family is Italian, so that for that's um, you know traditionally known for. We know you <laughs> have food. You have good company, you have some wine, and you don't need nothing else. Oh, yeah. Right? So. But the, the reason why I ask you that tough question is because one of my purposes with this podcast is to inspire people. And I think that we have our own limitations. There's people that, you know, can do many things in life. And, right. and thank God they don't have to deal with the tragedy you had to live with. And for whatever right. reason, we put it on hold. We say later, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. And it's sometimes we wait until God disrupts us and, and, and changes our life drastically to take action. Mm-hmm. Right. So oh, yeah. one of the things is for me, and I love that motivational doer thing that you're saying, it's to motivate people to just go do whatever they we wanted to do for a long time and they never find time for. It's so easy to make excuses for why we can't. And not even just excuses. There are so many. It's so easy to allow life's disruptions and distractions to keep us from doing what we want. 80% of the stuff that I'm doing, if you look outside, if you put it on paper, You'd be like, it's impossible for him to do this. No, you can't. I can't do this. No, I won't be able to. I can't afford this. I can't do this. But if I always thought like that and only looked at it on paper, I would have never done anything. All the stuff I just mentioned to you that I've just done, it was people will call in inviting me to come. So just because I mentioned that, hey, this I was interested. Well, I'll go to one thing and meet people at one event and get invited to come out to something completely different. Just because I went through this, I was diving with this guy. And now he wants to go fishing or they want to go travel and do something. They want to go snowboard. You meet people. So the things you never know, your list might start with just one or two things. And you, I, I don't know. But as soon as you take the effort to try it and go, then you're going to find your list is going to start growing. And you're like, oh, there's something else in life that I didn't even know about. But now, oh, now it's waking me, it's calling me, it's pulling me. And it's like, you're going to find ways to stop letting distractions. It's getting moving. Like It's a science thing. Everything says it's a, obviously it's not moving. It's hard to get moving. Once it's moving, though, it's hard to stop because it it's, it's going to keep going. And that's my thing is... I'm always, uh, sometimes you get a word about that running the hitting that brick wall, it's coming, and you know, but as long as you're moving, it's life. There, there's, there's something encouraging, like, okay, I might get down to my last piece of gas in my tank, and I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. And then actually, though, but you having that faith and knowing that I'm doing what, I'm, what I said I want to do, and I'm doing that for a right reason. There's going to be something right there, right when you're about to break down, they're going to fill you right back up. There's going to be a second wind or that runner's high that people talk about. It's always, it's there. 
it, it always, that's just, I've learned that's how this universe works. If you've given it all your all, it's something else is going to come. And like, and, but it like, and also, as I mentioned before, it might not be on the exact path that you have set saying, okay, this is, but it, it's, you reroute, but you don't stop. You know, you don't give up. Give it up. That's not an option. I, I don't understand that. I don't, I, that part, that quitting part is not for me. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad it's not for you because you're giving a, a, an amazing, inspirational story for for people around. And uh, and so the big next task. I don't want the interview to finish without you telling us. You know, you're gonna compete potentially in Tokyo if it's not canceled. <laughs> right. I mean, well, so I told him. So my when I started first started archery, I started like I said almost a year and a half, two years ago. And so I just was learning about, okay, the whole Paralympic Games. They're only every four years for the Paralympic Games. And so right now, my one of my good friends and mentors, he is a gold medalist. He's one of the number one and number two spots on the team. Wow. And so, like, yeah, him and, the, and there's, we, have some, we have some great shooters on the team. So originally my goal, my not even originally, my main real goal is focused on Paris 2024. So, because that's that's a good time. But if I could slip in and slide in this year for Tokyo, I wouldn't be mad at it. But I kind of think that's why all, that the universe is making things go crazy. Because that's why the Tokyo might not happen. So, so it, it really like, gives you peace of mind. You prepare for Paris. Just, focus on my goal. Focus on what I really have. My goal for this year is just make, getting the top eight spots on the team. Getting getting on one of those spots. Mine just shoot my best shots and go for that. Because we have our first tournament coming up in April, the first weekend of April. And that's going to be in Arizona, the Arizona Cup. And it's a three stages that we have to do. We do Arizona Cup. We do the Gator Cup here in Florida. And then we have a SoCal Showdown back in Cali. Those are the three stages to see who makes the top spots to go to Tokyo. And like I say, for me to do that, I have to beat my mentor. I have to beat uh, some other good. So, yeah, I'm sure he would be happy if you, oh, if no, you beat uh, He would be elated if I did. <laughs> yeah, yes. he, I, he's one of the guys. He. I think that I, I really think that's one of his goals is for me to see it pass down to him. So, oh, wow. that, that would be good. I definitely will put, I'm going to research this and I'm going to put it on the show notes so that anybody listening to this can follow this, but I'm personally follow it. And I love Paris. So who knows? 2024, you he might have a cheerleader on the stands. <laughs> before I, I, i'm making sure that's right <laughs> okay you might have a cheerleader there so oh, i mean I, gabe I, i feel like we keep talking forever but do you want to say anything is there any thoughts anything in your mind that you want to share with people listening out there before what could i say to, to i mean you've said a, lo a whole lot but i'm sure that <laughs> i just want to give you an opportunity just to express anything like all i can say is i'm i'm gabe this is me this this is my journey This is the things that I've gone through, but I'm no more superhuman than you or anyone else listening. I'm just as regular, just as human. I have just as much blood in me as anybody else have. All only difference it makes is my desire and my will to do. And it's do, and there's no, I put dots after that do. It's whatever it is that I want to do or I believe that I can do, I don't stop until I do it. Well, that's uh, definitely... Powerful, very powerful. You you become 
I know that other people will get upset, but you become one of my very favorite interviews. Oh, uh, yeah, because you you know it's uh, you, you said a, a lot of things that really resonate. I've been writing here, and it's like all That's the it. things. See, I'm not a, I'm not a motivational most motivational speaker. <laughs> I say all these. Things. You might be you might be without knowing. Let me tell you. Yeah, I keep getting told. They say I've been told I need to write a book. I'm like. I'm too. I'm doing too much. I like to do more than I speak. But well, that's why you have ghost writers. You have someone else write it for you, but (laughs) you do it because your story is really powerful, and you deliver it in a way where you know. And you're so young and so full of energy that, and you're doing so much. Oh yeah, this is the beginning. Like it's. I want it for. I want my biggest goal. Like I say, is for to see others. I want to be able to pass it, share this with others. When I retire from being able to compete and do it, I want to be still moving, traveling, doing this with others. I want to be around the world, seeing others, encouraging others, teaching and showing others to do this. That's what I see. If I could put that little light and pour something into somebody else, especially the younger generation, older generation, to take this approach in life. Because really, it's a lifestyle. If you're looking at this, if you're looking at this, you're not mad about nothing. You're not upset when changes come. You're not upset when things happen. You're expecting. You're waiting on adapting. You're ready to adapt to whatever comes and that, that'll help you through life and you'll have a peaceful life and a, a more try to hopefully a happy life wow okay <laughs> that's definitely worth re-listening to i'm gonna edit this episode myself just to listen <clears throat> again to everything you've said because it's a lot to process but uh gabe i thank you so much for being part of back to basics thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it now i'm sure that everybody's gonna love this interview for sure and I'll be following you. You know, you have a friend down here in Miami. Thank you very much. And I'll hope to see you sometime in Miami. Because like I said, it's cold out here a lot of days. I'm, I love coming down. I dive a lot out of Miami. Uh, g- of my- give me a few months to get a uh, hold on pick a ball, and then I'll challenge you for yes, sure. You will have that. For real. <laughs> I'll hold you to that. Okay. Sounds like a plan. Thank you, Gabe. Thank you. You have a wonderful day. And until the next time. <laughs>